So now between the opening hymn, which was O Little Town of Bethlehem, two weeks after Easter, and then the scripture reading that you had today from Psalm 122, I just want to clear right away where I'm going. This is going to be a Mother's Day message. Um, why? Because you can't find any song in the hymnal on mothers. You can find God as Father, but the mother, you can look from the beginning to the last page. Very hard to find. I don't know why. But the only thing that's remotely connected to a mother is the birth of Jesus, born of Mary, you know, like uh, in green sleeves. Uh, who is this child? The son of Mary. So that's why. And then Psalm 122 was, um, gave the words of a song that was played two weeks ago at the grand wedding of Prince William with Kate um, uh, Middleton. And uh, they had this beautiful song by Perry, but I figured out that without maybe the full organ, it wouldn't be good to sing that song, so that's why. But um, yes, um, <clears throat> this is the day the Lord has made because Sabbath day, because of Easter we've just celebrated, because of Mother's Day coming up. And uh, that, we're ha I mean, that we're having today and tomorrow, as well as Father's Day coming down the line in June. So that's why. And so today, I would like for us to think a little bit about mothers. And um, I have selected not to pick up um, the story of, of either Jochebed, the mother of Moses, or Hannah, the mother of Samuel, or all of these, uh, or even the reading from Proverbs 31. I think there's enough pressure on you ladies today. You know, and you read all these stories, and what you think is, wow, these were the perfect biblical mothers, and how do I measure up? How do I, my, my mother measures up? And uh, It's not that we shouldn't have the examples, but what I want you to understand today is that there's something else that we need to, if we want to love our mothers, and mothers... If you want to love yourselves and be able to be the best mothers you want to be, there's something else you've got to understand. And I'll find this in the scripture as well. Um, but, um, you know, let's evade the stories of Leah and all of these great women right there, there for this. But um, I read that once there was an older seasoned minister who asked, two weeks before Mother's Day, he asked six younger ministers, uh, what text do you have for Mother's Day sermon? It was two weeks before. And here's the answer that they gave to him. The common response was, well, that's a hard sermon for me to preach. I've not found my sermon yet. <laughs> and then, not two weeks before Mother's Day, but two days before Mother's Day. It was on Wednesday before Mother's Day. He asked the same question. He was in a conference speaking. And he asked two other veteran pastors the same question that they were having some supper there. And... Both of them shook their heads and said, I don't have my sermon for Mother's Day. That's a hard one for me to do too. And why, he asked, why is it so difficult, maybe, for pastors of all ages to preach Mother's Day sermons? And his hunch is that it has nothing to do with their having a faulty relationship with their mother. But it's got to do, he says, with two realities. Number one, they don't want to go all sentimental you know, and just preach a how wonderful is motherhood sermon, and yet they're not clear what to do. And then number two, he says they're just men. And so let's be obvious here and admit it. 
we men are out of league to really find out what the challenges of being a mother are. And so maybe that's part of the difficulty that these pastors have, uh, these male pastors, in writing a sermon for Mother's Day. This being said, I would like to share with you some of the conflicting currents that there is in, in every mother, in every mother, and therefore in every, and in every parent. Not just the mothers, but Father's Day. I don't know if we'll have a chance to have a Father's Day sermon. It's always during camp meeting. But in every parent, the conflicting currents that there are there that therefore are also in every child. And I'll take this straight from the story of the mother. Who's the mother in the Bible, if not Mary, the mother of Jesus? You know? And from, from Luke chapter 1, chapter 2, those very first chapters of the Gospel of Luke that tell about the story of Jesus' birth and, and growth as a child. First of all, I mean, look at the positive and the negatives. Bearing the Son of God. What a privilege, right? For Mary to bear this. She's been told she's bearing the Son of God. But at the same time, as she bearing the Son of God in Nazareth, enduring the suspicion, and somehow also the rumors of both strangers and family regarding, well, how did, how did she really get that child? So you have so the privilege of bearing the Son of God, and at the same time, the burden, the conflicting current there. Then, where does she give birth to Jesus? In the city of David, Bethlehem. And isn't that a great location or what? Predicted in Scripture. She goes to the city of David himself to give birth to the child. But yet, where in the city of David does she actually give birth? In the Ramada, in Paper Valley, Radisson or something? Uh-uh. Right there in a little manger in a farm. So far away from home, in a little... That's a negative, a positive. The city of David, yeah, what a prestigious, prestigious location. But then in a little stable, far away from home, with no comforts. Then in chapter 2, they go to the temple, don't they? As they go to the temple, who greets her? And, and, and the little family, the holy family. There's Simon, a prophet. And he blesses her. And then there's Anna, a prophetess. Male and female, they bless her and tell her all kinds all kind of wonderful things about the child. Hearing about the great role that the child will have for humanity in the history of the nation. But then, what's the negative there? She learns that a sword will pierce her heart. There'll be some heartache as a result of the life of this child. Both the glorious future, the positive, and then the conflicted current there is, well, there's going to be some heartaches associated with that. See, both are there in the same chapters, side to side, constantly. And then in Matthew chapter 2, they're visited by the wise men from the east, aren't they? And they receive... Great presence, gold, myrrh, and frankincense. They're visited by dignitaries that are wise and come from far away and worship and love this little family there, the child. But then that very same night, what happens? Joseph has a dream. Herod is looking for the life of the child. You've got to escape tonight. 
They have to pack up everything they have, just dash out to Egypt. Conflicting currents right there. And then when the family uh, grows back in Nazareth, every, uh, when Jesus is 12 years old, in Luke, we're being told that they went for a family trip. Isn't there anything better than a family trip? Well, maybe not for a long one with a car. But to go for a family trip is fun. It's fun. And you have good memories somehow, even though, you know, you forget about the children just arguing with each other. And, uh, you just remember the nice stuff that you did. They take a family trip to Jerusalem. What a great thing. And then while they are in Jerusalem, we're being told that they lost a kid out there. What an embarrassment. For, has it happened to you that you have an embarrassing moment? You're dependent on others to help you mother and parent your child. There's no child that just can survive with more. I mean, we need to have all of us to parent. But then sometimes the others don't, you know, they're not as reliable as you would wish they are. And the kid is just on his own. And they think the kid is with them when he's not. And somehow they have this embarrassing moment. They have to go back on their own, look for the kid. And then on top of that, now remember that. So she's a poor mother and a great mother at the same time. She has to accept right there that her son is growing up. When she says, son, you should have gone with us, with your father and your mother. What does he say? He says, mother, you should know that I was about my father's business. I have things to do. Well, of course, you know, he's not 30 years old yet, but the kid has grown up. It's a difficult moment for Mary somehow. She's got to just kind of let him go. And still she's his mother because she needs to cook his meals. He's not able to do that, 12 years old maybe. So it's this ambivalence there, this conflicting currents that you have right there. The difficult moment of relinquishing a little bit. And at the same time, she's got to be a mother in other ways. Poor mom. <laughs> Last verse of the chapter. But Mary kept all these things in her heart. So many things to ponder about, right? <laughs> Both... Uh, at that time, and then later when he leaves the house. So many things for mothers to think about, for parents to, to think about, you know. Torn between the privilege of parenting and the burden of daily responsibilities in that role. What I like to say from that is that it's not just Mary. It was, despite the picture that we give of her. I mean, you know, there's no other woman in the world that is so idolized as Mary by in Christianity. In a wrong way, we know this as Adventist, you know. Mother, the, Mar the mother of God, you know, and uh, made her in the Virgin Mary that is ascended to heaven and intercedes for us, you know, and all these things, and beautiful things up there. And she's right there. You know, in Revelation chapter 12, they think, they think that the woman clothed in white with the sun and the moon and the stars just Mary herself. We know that's not the truth. That's the church. But somehow she's, she's made into something that's nearly divine, right? Are you with me? She was there before the creation of the world, you know, in some songs. So as much as we idolize Mary, and maybe some of the other biblical mothers, such as Leah and Rachel and all of them, all of them, all of them were like you and me. You know, I'm not a mother. But would you... We, She's, too, she's human too, you know? Now, why is it that we make Mary such, and mothers, such, well, something that's just so huge? Why is it? 
I mean, look, look, you go, to, you go, you think about the ambivalence of writing a Mother's Day sermon or something like this. You have something to say, Dorothy? What's that? Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Dorothy. Now, you may agree more or less fully with what Dorothy said, but isn't that true that there's an aspect of God that's, that's, that's got those mothering, mothering qualities of nurturing, of love, and so on and so forth, of guidance? At least we can agree to that, you know. But why is it, I was going in another direction. I thank you so much for just, you know, participating like this. That might be part. I, uh, that might be a reason. So we need to be clear on certain things. And when we idealize Mary to the point that she's nearly divine, and you go sometimes to the Mother's Day uh, you know, for the cards, to buy a card, and you find all these things, which one fits me? You know, all these wonderful things. But why is it? I think um, the impact of a relationship on us can be determined by two things. Either by the strength of it, you know, how traumatic or how wonderful it can be. That is something that you may have met only one per a person once, but if your encounter with them was very traumatic or very wonderful, there's a chance you'll remember them longer and that this will impact you longer. A second aspect that determines the, the impact of a relationship to you is the length of the relationship. I mean... I love every member in the church here, and we, ha we have been friends for a while. But I notice that there's people who've known each other for, I mean, look at the two of you. You've known each other for a long time. Even if you don't speak with each other every day, you're friends. There's a length of the relationship, right? Now, for all of you, everybody here, what's the longest relationship that you've had with anybody in the world? If not, your mother. And from this, it's not Samuel who's so smart. You can read it in all the books. Because of this, there is no other relationship that anybody can have in the world that is as powerful as the relationship that you will have with your mother. That's why. That's a, that maybe it's not, not what you're saying, Dorothy, but that's, I think, why we have such a great power in the mother complex, which will affect every other relationship. What we have experienced with our mother will just translate in all relationships, not just with the opposites, with females, or with, but, but with everybody. Because that's the model relationship, the one that has lasted the longest. You understand what I mean? I mean, look, at, ponder for a moment about 
about the divinity, the magic of being a mother, giving birth to a human being from your body. I mean, we have medical doctors here who've just been in, in the room. This is just, this is just drama. This is, this, there's nothing to, you go prepared for it, but when it happens, you have tears. It's amazing to see birth. It's amazing to give birth. We men, we, you know, we do our little part, <laughs> but it doesn't compare. It just doesn't compare. And then the nurturance, it's not just giving birth, <coughs> giving birth but the nurturance from the start from before birth and after, of giving and providing and being there. Many a time, it's not to say that all mothers are like this or able to be like this, but many a time, <laughs> fathers would be more absent than the mother. The mother is the steady, stable thing, that <laughs> provider of all that love and, and food and clothing and, and, and all of these things. So what an important relationship that is. You know, if we don't make... If we don't make Mary just, but all the mothers, something that's just outside of this world, we have some reasons for it. So what we need to understand is that all that great weight is all thrust of all we think about the, the beauty of this. It's all thrust on a fragile individual human being of a young lady. And Mary was very young, she's 14 years old maybe. But even if, if, if a mother gave birth when she was 20 or 21 or 22 or 25 or 30, it's still a young, frail lady on which we project all of the weight of being the life itself, the life giver. We all come. I mean, water is what made earth, life on earth possible, and we all come from umbilical wa- waters. This is the source of life. We don't say it this way, but that's, we know that, all of us. That's where we come from. So we project all that on a frail human being who's supposed to be the giver of life, the provider of everything, you know, just like. But then that's a frail human being. That's a frail human being who's been flawed as well, who's not perfect, who's got their own story. And so their providence of nurturance and food and so on is, 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 is not perfect all the time. Sometimes some of us have suffered from estrangement from our mother. Our mother didn't give us enough. That's some of us. We have not been loved enough by mom or so on and so forth. Or or we have been loved too much by mom. That happens too. Many a time mother is so, especially in the past, because of patriarchy being disempowered, she lives her life through the sons and through the daughters. My son, the doctor. (laughs) That happens. But then mother... We feel the burden of, of succeeding, the drive to succeed before because of mother. It's just, and, or she loves us the wrong way, and so on and so forth. And all of these things create, because, you remember, such a powerful relationship. So whatever little deviance from the ideal, whether it's giving not enough or giving too much, this has tremendous impact for the rest of life. And so we are there. Some of us men, we, we, we just, we, we just, we're just fearful of leaving uh, into the big world and exploring because well, we're so tied up to mom or, or, or we, because we've been loved so much, we're doomed to be dissatisfied with anything else because, I mean, mom loved us so much and so well that there's nothing to match that and so on and so forth. So all the effects are there. And, and, and so we have this ambivalence. Well, 
because I have both benefited from mom and also her way to relate to me has been human and defective, I have also suffered from mom. It has affected my ability to deal with life in certain ways. We may have this ambivalence there, and I think that's all of us. And, you know, the separation from this, all of us have been separated from mom, and that's, that's a very traumatic thing. I mean, all of us, if, all of you, is there one person that doesn't have a, a, a belly button, you know? So that separ- all these things are associated with this, and we don't word them all the time. They are there. And I think that at Mother's Day, that may create some of the ambivalence that we have as children. And also, it may create some of the ambivalence that women and parents in in general have about their parenting and their children. I have read a lot about um, the relationship between a mother and her daughter. You know, she, she has been deprived in past years of opportunities for growth, for studying, for having a profession. And, and then she has her daughter who's having all of this, and there's some an ambivalence. I want her to have this at the same time. I was deprived of this, you know. And many, I, I read with the story of this woman who went to the supermarket, and would she spend like three hours in the morning to bake a nice bread like her mother would and cook from scratch? Or, and though she goes with her daughter to the supermarket, and she goes to the frozen section and gets a frozen something, it's, ah, should I or should I not? That's it. She leaves it. She goes and buys whatever it is that's needed to make the thing from scratch and goes back and forth a couple of times. You know, there's ambivalence there of, of letting the children, you know, watch some TV so that you can paint for yourself and spend a, a couple of moments reading in peace or doing something for yourself as a mother. Or are you going to be pouring your life constantly to those little rascals there? There's ambivalence there. What I'm trying to say here is that Jesus' experience with his mother and Mary's experience as it relates to, to, as it's related in the Bible, all point to the fact that despite our idealization, which we have ground for in some ways, but we must, the best way for us to be able to love our mothers freely is to recognize that she's human too. When, and I'll explain some of that, in a moment, so, and, and to love ourselves as well as parents. Otherwise, if we maintain this ambivalence out of our sight and we don't know about it, then we continue serving, yes, but have compulsion. Or we keep going to the card shop and buying those wonderful cards about Mother's Day, and we sign them maybe, but there's some ambivalence about it. And so the point of my message this morning is cut your mother some slack. Cut your mother, and, and that includes all of us. And then you mothers, you cut yourselves some slack. You come here and you got to be all pretty on Mother's Day and your husbands, they were considerate, just give you some beautiful flowers and so on and so forth. Yes, you are divine. I mean, God made you something that's just out of this world. But at the same time, day by day, you've got to do your own thing like everybody else. And so cutting some slack to each other is, I think, the best way to be able to love each other without the interferences that otherwise are there. You go and see all these cards that you have, all beautiful cards. Because otherwise, the negatives that you know are there stand in the way of appreciating fully the positive, both in your mothers and in yourself. 
even in yourself as fathers. If you keep having this idea of the ideal father and the ideal mother, and that's what I should be, there's no way for you to just not have some guilt. And that guilt stands in the way of you freely giving what you can. I think there's not a person here that has not done their best. I know that some people might dispute me on this. I don't know anybody that knowing what is the best for them to do does not do it to the best of their ability. I haven't met any person like this yet. <coughs> we may, from our standpoint, think, well, I should have done better. We sometimes, from our standpoint, say, I should have done better. But we try our best. So it's important for us to... So don't idealize too much. You know? Because the idealization contains some lies that are beautiful, yes, but they contain some lies that keep the blindness and the damage of imperfection hidden from us and therefore it's not dealt with. I think it's important for us to acknowledge the humanity of our mothers, of ourselves, to acknowledge the damage possibly that this created because mom loved me so much, I was fearful of getting out, you know, maybe. I was sharing the back here that this past week I learned how to drive a motorcycle. For me, I said to my mother, I'm going to learn how to ride a motorcycle, John. And she said, no, you don't do that. This is dangerous, Samuel. I'm 50 years old pretty soon in two years. Can I just ride a motorcycle, be a man like the others, and do the right thing? I, I don't want to ride every day, but I mean, so I was kept, you know, it's like you're kissing, oh, no, I don't want to just walk out of my crib because that's too dangerous. No, 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 no. But that's part of the damage that my mother's love, you know, as a mother hen, she's done to me a little bit. It's time for me to acknowledge this. As mom, I love you. I'll be careful. But I'll do some things that are exploring the world a little bit, you know. And that's just one of those things that you have each one of your own story. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge the full extent to it. And not in terms of, well, mom was this or mom was that. But that's, that's how I learned to relate to the world because of my relationship with mom and with dad. That is so crucial. We've done a little bit of this with the parenting class. I remember that. And so only conscious acknowledgement of all these things that make her and him and yourself human can contribute to the lessening of the negative effects possibly of it so that you can really appreciate the positive, you see. Jesus said it very plainly. The truth shall make you free. Not those lies, you know, even the good ones. You know, so there's more understanding, you know, you, you know, you know, you understand why she did what she, why they did what they did. You can understand that you can also know, well, you can also know what she's responsible for. And when you've acknowledged this and pushed that out, then you can understand what you're responsible as well. And that is not just in relation to your mother, but to yourself. Acknowledge, well, this is where I have failed somehow as a human being in being a mom with my children. And that's how I have failed in being a dad to my kids so far. Once you've done this and you've acknowledged it, if you confess with your mouth you know, and believe in your heart, what does it say? You're home free. Then it's out there. You're free from that. Once you've acknowledged what has been wrong, it's out there. Now you can know what you can do better. Now you can know what you can do to change, you see. There's more ownership on, on your part. 
And therefore, there's also more ownership of the positive that you can do. You know what you can do. Before we do that, though, I think that we really need to seek forgiveness sometimes. That's, that's the way to bring closure to these imperfections that we all have brought to each other in our relationship to each other, either with our mother, parent, or with our children. We need to seek forgiveness. I think it's so important. We are so bogged down by guilt that is unresolved. Seek forgiveness from yourself. Understand, you've done the best you could with what you had. When you were a child, you were very powerless in front of, you know, a big world. You learned how to cope whichever way was available to you. When, uh, when you've made a mistake, and, and accept. I'm human. I've done what I could. It wasn't uh, what I would like to do next. Then I think God's Spirit helps us to find out wonderful ways in which we can appreciate the power that he, the tremendous power that he's put in each one of us to let the Spirit work in us his good will, his perfect will, to love the way that uh, day by day in a greater way, in a better way, and to be more what we are supposed to be, a better way of living. I, I call this a B-W-O-L, better way of living. <laughs> you know, My better way of living is I love freely and without fear. Because I've been fearful many, many years in my life. So I want to try to learn how to love more freely, without fear. You can have your own. All that you've learned is not learned forever. Once you've acknowledged how it could have been better, then you can freely appreciate all the goodness. This morning, I got a big hug from one of the mothers in the church here. And I congratulated, I spoke with her husband. I said, wow, we have a... And he said, yeah, she gives us so much. We receive so much beauty and goodness from mothers and from fathers and from each other. And then we're free to, when we're free to receive that, having acknowledged that it's not perfect, I think we give glory to God. There's only one that in the Bible is said has alone immortality. Who's that? Is that, is that? is that any of us? God alone in First Timothy. He's the only one that has immortality. He's the only one that is perfect. He's the only one. And that's why I think that we acknowledge our humanity. We give glory to him because we give glory to his perfection as well. The work that I have very quickly alluded to you that you, sh I think, should do to be able to really celebrate Mother's Day is a work that's important for us as Adventists. We, being <coughs> we believe that the judgment is going on since 1844. Jesus is coming soon. All the signs around us tell us that. Isn't that true? And so here in Revelation 14, based on Daniel 8, we think since 1844, judgment is going on. Jesus says, there's the final disposition of sin and lies in the heavenly sanctuary, as well as the in, in the inner sanctuary of our hearts and minds. In Malachi chapter 3, we're being told that there's a turning of the parents' hearts towards the children and the children's hearts towards the parents. I think that has to do with, yes, with unearthing those things that are there that we know are not the best, releasing them to God's forgiveness through the cross of Christ so that we can now be clean to receive more of a measure of the Holy Spirit, like the ten virgins, so we can have the fruits of the Spirit more fully in our relationship with mom, with dad, with the children, and with each other as brother and sister. This is a great work that God is wanting to do. 
right now in our lives. Yes, because it's Mother's Day, <laughs> but every day until he comes. It would be clean to be able to have beautiful families and, and beautiful church families like we have here day by day more. And in all of this, it's important to remember that God is the senior pastor. He is the senior leader. He's the senior shepherd. He's the senior partner. As we do our best as moms and dads, and even for those of us that don't have children, Mother's Day is sometimes also a, a little bit of a, well, I don't have children. But we all are called to nurture and to love and to give life. And in doing this, it's God who's doing this through us. And he's the senior partner to lead each other to himself. That's why the closing hymn is, lead them, my God, to thee. You know, We can do our part. We have a part to play. But he's the one that wants to help us in doing that awesome task of giving life, of, uh, of nurturing life, of, uh, of teaching how to love and how to be, uh, to be all that God has intended us to be when he created us. So let this last hymn be an expression of our faith that God will help us. And I want to wish every mother here uh, a happy Mother's Day. We want to thank you for your beauty and for your love that you share with us, and for the fathers as well coming up. Let's be the best fathers and husbands that we can as God leads us. Our great God, we want to thank you so much for having given us uh, the gift of life. We want to thank you for the gift of mothers and the gift of younger people, younger individuals in this world, for all of us to parent. We want to ask you that you give us your spirit you want, you want to bless us, and we want to receive your blessing. Pray that you'll bless every mother, every, every woman here in this church this morning, and help us men to be a blessing to them and to each other. We pray for your blessing on those of us that are up in Lena today, that you'll give them a blessing this afternoon as well, those that are away with the weather or Mother's Day or something. Pray that each one of us, as we fellowship downstairs, will be blessed by good food and your presence as we engage in conversations with each other. And as we go our separate ways this afternoon to, to continue uh, being what you have called us to be in the world, we pray for your spirit to help us to be loving and to have your spirit in our hearts to give joy and hope until Jesus comes. And now may the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the communion of the Holy Spirit remain with us all from now until he comes. Amen.